because you're jumping back into the gap. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Excited to welcome founder and head sport preparation coach of the U of Strength, Jamie Smith, to the Basketball Podcast. Jamie is passionate about guiding his athletes through their development process and discovering unique ways that blend physical preparation and skill adaptation. As a former college basketball player at Merrimack College, he graduated with a degree in sports medicine and a concentration in exercise physiology. He has had opportunities to coach under some of the most knowledgeable and experienced coaches in the industry. Jamie has coached a variety of athletes from novice to elite skill levels, some of which include current NHL, NBA, and MLS players, and the 2011 NCAA men's basketball national champion, UConn Huskies. Learn more about the philosophy behind Jamie Smith's unique approach to athlete development at basketballathleticdevelopment.com. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Well, pumped to have you. For those coaches that have had a chance already to uh, dive into basketballathleticdevelopment.com and see some of your work in action as an immersion video product, I know they've been excited to be able to hear more from you. And then any coach that follows you on social media at U of Strength, I mean, just great stuff that you share all the time. So maybe start, just give us a feel for uh, U of Strength and uh, what that is. So basically, I created the U of Strength um, to primarily focus on athletic development. But as I kind of got down this rabbit hole and I really got into the trenches from, you know, working for others in the private sector and at the collegiate level, I felt like I can make the most difference with the youth. And instead of trying to grow the U.S. strength in the sense that like most of these sport performance gyms, when you work with the youth, the business model is in the mornings you do personal training. In the evenings, afternoons and evenings, you train the kids and in, in between you do personal training. I started off that way and realized it was it wasn't the direction for me because what I was trying to do is I was not trying to create a factory. I was not trying to recreate a boil system or some of these bigger athletic performance. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying for me and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to impact my small community, I wanted to create this intimate setting where my 100% attention was on sport performance. It was on motor learning. It was on really teaching these kids, whether, you know, six, seven, eight-year-olds all the way up, you know, to the college level and every everyone in between, but teaching these kids how, you know, how to learn, how to adapt to some of these skills and develop some of these qualities and learn some of these processes. And so I just basically went full in, um, you know, on the athletic side, but more importantly, on the human side and really trying to explain to parents, to coaches, to athletes. And it really, uh, in my opinion, it doesn't matter what level, but especially important for the younger kids is that it's so common for me to have a conversation with a parent and what how they label their 12-year-old son is a basketball player or how they label their 14-year-old daughter is a lacrosse player. And I take a step back and I want, I want to get to the human level and really teach them and understand that during this period, especially with early specialization, especially with playing with one sport on four to five different club teams, you're missing the boat and you're missing on such a great opportunity to adapt to all these skills and qualities. Cause I get that a lot from coaches, like a lot of the stuff that you see me do it is unorthodox but a lot would be like you can do that in the backyard kids do that by playing on a playground they do get that with multiple sports but from what i am seeing and i'm a father all right and i'm a father i'm a coach i'm a business owner i'm a husband i'm in the community i'm seeing this and i'm not seeing this it's all competition right it's all trying to play for the best team it's all trying wins and losses and i'm again i'm not saying it's not that's not important but what i am saying is that we are missing a an important piece in the developmental process. And so that's kind of where I see my role is I'm filling in the gaps. 
And you'll see in my video series where it might be with gameplay. It might be with some of my agility stuff. It might be with, you know, how I approach my pre-training or the warm-up. I'm trying to fill in gaps that I feel are missing in this modern day, you know, kind of athletic world. Well, I love it. I love the performance focus. I love the learning focus. And, uh, you know, we're not here to sell. We're here to share. But, you know, the one thing that stands out from your video series is the fact that I don't know if this has ever been done before. First of all, that, that uh, you know, a human performance coach like yourself has worked directly with a basketball team over multiple days. And then we've recorded it and shared it. And it really does provide really applicable things. And that's what I love because I when I when I kind of deal with any of the sector of people in her human performance, too often I find it's in a lecture mode, it's in a theory presentation, rather than, well, what do I actually do and how does it actually look? And that's what's amazing about this work that you did uh with college basketball basket and Alex Sarama's prep kids. Honestly, it was fantastic. And it was a Alex is such a, as you know, and as many people know, he's brilliant. Um, he's young, he's, he's driven. And I traveled halfway across the world for people that don't understand. Okay. I run, uh, you know, a very, very small business in Kingsborough, Massachusetts. That's about 35 ish minutes kind of North of Boston. And I travel all the way out to Italy, you know, outside Milan. Um, and from the first introduction and this is going to sound corny. And I, I had this conversation with Alex yesterday, but it's like, I, I just, it, it just, it, it was a, a piece to their puzzle and it kind of just meshed, it blended and interacted everything after that first introduction. It's almost like the guys with what Alex was doing in kind of the, the principles. And I don't want to use the word culture because that gets overused, but the kids that he had, they were so receptive. They were so adaptable. They were, it was a fantastic opportunity and literally from the first and you might see it, you might see it from video one all the way up to the final video. It's just it was such a, a seamless uh, interaction and transition. And the cool thing is that I did not I had I had a somewhat of an understanding of what I was getting myself into, but I had no equipment. I basically had everything that I could take in my carry on bag and from day one you know, to the final day, it's just, and that's the beauty of some of these ideas that you will see and we can discuss. It is agile. It is dynamic. It is adaptable and can be applied in any possible situation. You just need to understand kind of the basic ideas behind it. But yeah, it was something, it was really, it was an interesting, it definitely was a great learning experience for me. And it was also a true testament that the ideas that I've been kind of cultivating and creating in my comfort zone in my little kind of pocket of the world can be applied in a completely foreign uh situation so yeah it was it was fantastic and hopefully people you know will listen to this and kind of get a better understanding this isn't something that we pre-planned this isn't something i was there for a year and then we shot this was literally day one that first video was i think 12 hours after i got off the plane and we got right into it and it was it was awesome i i, I want to go back and i talk with alex weekly um i still stay in touch with the guys you know if they have something going on because that was a big thing um you know it, it, there's bumps there's bruises there's aches there's pains and my approach to you know kind of that tissue re-education process is very different from the traditional physio or physical therapist but the guys saw it, they felt it, they experienced it. So now if they have any nicks or anything, they're, they're, you know, I'm on the WhatsApp, they shoot me a message. So it was pretty cool. And it's hopefully relationships that, you know, we will continue for a long time. Yeah, it's awesome stuff. Basketball Athletic Development with Jamie Smith. You can find it at basketballathleticdevelopment.com or at Immersion Videos. And, uh, you know, let's get into some of that stuff that's maybe a little bit different for coaches in terms of what they've traditionally seen in this strength and conditioning world. And that is that you apply constraints led approach and it's underpinned by e ecological dynamics. So maybe can you, can you explain what that means within the athletic development field? Yeah. So, and, and again, I, there is a ton of great resources out there that break down these theories and they have all these concepts and fancy words. 
And what I'm trying to do is I'm going to take a step because that's just who I am. I'm very laid back. I'm very informal. I want to make things practical. I want to make things actionable. I want to take an idea. And sometimes I mess it up. I'll be completely transparent and honest, but I want to take an idea, play around with it, experiment with it, see kind of what the response is, see what kind of emerges and then share it. And so basically a lot of times with strength and conditioning, and I've done it, I've been there, I've been coaching 17 years. All right. I've, I've, I've had, I've gone through the process of, okay, the focus is just on the weight room. The focus is more power lifting, heavy lifting, heavy lifting. And then I transition. All right, we need to add a, some sort of speed component. We need to, uh, you know, get some sort of plyometric type stuff in and then kind of transition. Okay. I'm still missing something. And so when I, Kind of do uh, when I went down the rabbit hole with ecological dynamics, dynamical systems theory, nonlinear pedagogy, constraints led approach, all these fantastic theories. A light bulb went off, and it was a great timing because it's when I uh, it's when I had my daughter, and so I had it. I had a young, you know, I had this young human that was just new to the world and exploring, and a lot of these ideas, you know, stem from from babies and kind of how they interact because they can't, there's constraints, right? There's, they can't communicate. They're very limited with their motor patterns, et cetera. But again, it can be applied for any level, any sport, any situation. Um, and so the more I went down that rabbit hole, the more I could connect to my previous basketball kind of, uh, uh, you know, history in playing and kind of making connections with all the great coaches I had in the past with, you know, how they designed their practices, how they communicated, you know, um, and, and seeing that maybe they didn't realize, but CLA is in a lot of very, very high level and very, very uh, successful, whether it's youth, college, professional, you know, basketball coaches, they just might not know it. And so with the ecological dynamics, especially when it was strength and conditioning, it's, I was tired of everything being siloed. I was tired of everything being, okay, when I'm in your four walls, we're going to speak a language. We're going to do these exercises. We're going to do these methodologies. And then when you leave, it's something completely different. And in the world that I'm in, especially with basketball and hockey, it's very competitive where I am in New England. There's a, these kids are getting so much information. So you can talk about information from a sports side. You can talk about information from an academic side. Heck, you can talk about information from a social media side. These kids are getting flooded and flooded and flooded with all this stuff. And so I want, I wanted to simplify. I wanted to try to speak a common language. I wanted things to become, I call it the term I use is I want things to be sticky. I want whatever I'm going to teach you. I want you to be able to this, apply this in any possible situation. I don't care if it's a chaotic sporting world. I don't care if it's a controlled practice setting. I don't care if it's in a, you know, a backyard pickup sport game. I want you to take, you know, some of these principles, concepts, ideas, and be able to apply it no matter, no matter what. And the thing, the more I went down in understanding, you know, how everything, we're, we're, we are systems upon systems. Everything is interactive. And you can't have one and not have the other. It just all made sense. And it all, as I started, I made one change, you know, and it, it, you know, it was one change to basically how I handled my speed and agility. I made one change and then kind of saw what emerged, kind of got some feedback, you know, because that's a big thing, kind of, you know, interacting with the kids and the athletes, got some feedback. I made one change and then I made another and then I made another. And over the course, you know, now it's been almost eight years you know, now my whole program is completely kind of if and I'm giving air quotes, but non-traditional. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's really respecting and understanding the the individual. All right. So the kid that's, you know, in front of you, the task and that task can be, you know, a speed drill that could be some sort of one V one on the basketball court that can be a squatting pattern in the weight room. You have the individual, the task, and then you have that environment. And they're all interactive. They're all interconnected. And, and you need, again, like I said, and this is so important, you, you can't just take one of them out. All of them, you know, are important. You need to appreciate all of the different variables. And it, it can be overwhelming at the start. But once you kind of establish, it's actually very simple. And especially once the kids grasp it, it's, it really goes from a, 
and and people talk about this and and I got to find a better word, but they go from a coach centered to an athlete centered, you know, kind of model. And so my big thing is that I really want to create this partnership. I really want this athlete to have a say because when they're in, and I'm not saying this is for everyone. I'm just saying for my specific situation, a lot of times these kids, they go into sport, they go into their basketball practice. They're told exactly what to do from start to finish, exactly what to do. They're given all the answers. There's no exploration. There's, you know, there, there's no chance to really explore, experiment, see what works, see what doesn't. They go into school. Everything is structured. They go home. Everything is structured. And it came to a point where I have. So when I get a new athlete, Chris, I always have an informal five to 10 minute meeting, an introductory meeting. It's always in person. It's always a parent or two, the kid and me. And I don't care if they're six or if they're 25. And I always have, you know, the conversation. I always try to direct the conversation to the kid, to the youth lead, to the athlete. And a lot of times when I'm talking with them and asking them, okay, when was the last time you played? When was the last time you were on a playground? When was the last time you played a pickup game? Kids these days, they don't. They can't remember. Everything from the, the minute they wake up to the minute they go to bed is structured. And again, I'm not here to say structure isn't important. It is. I'm a father. I get that. But at some point when there's too much, when you get into chaos, when you get into uncertain situations, that's when things get real. And that's when you can see these kids are now robots and they're not what I call adaptable problem solvers. They're not, they don't have that ability to find a tool, find a movement, find a, you know, a new way to shoot the basketball, to complete the task, to be successful, to win the game, you know, that last winning shot, whatever the situation may be. And so that to me, to kind of, kind of, kind of close things up, but that's why I kind of took all these theories and basically was like, all right, how can I really allow the athlete to have a say and to really make them their own coach, make them kind of the main driver so that when they're not with me, when they're, if they're lucky enough to play at the college level or play at the professional level, you know, they know exactly, they know what works. They know, you know, they know how their body feels, responds to different things. And so that's a big thing. It's just the, it's like basketball. Basketball is much more than X's and O's, wins and losses. It's the same thing with strength and conditioning. It's much more than a five by five protocol. It's much more than a new squatting technique. It's much more than, you know, teaching this acceleration pattern. There's much more to this. So there's so many things that stand out. Uh, Thanks for that explanation. I mean, number one, uh, this matters, and you you know our basketball immersion community is is on board with everything you're saying. It's the same thing we're sharing essentially in basketball. But the thing that stands out from watching your stuff and from you know our basketball stuff is players enjoy it, and that matters. That matters. And again, this isn't anti in the weight room lifting as heavy as you can. That's not anti anything. It's more about the focus on player led. That's what how we define it in terms of player led and player involvement. And then also the fact that we're focused on performance. It's not about who lifts the most in the weight room. It's about how does this help you improve and how does this help you perform better? And that's the constant connection. And uh, for coaches trying to picture this, you gave the example of a 1v1. And that is the example. It's like this complete integration of everything that you would traditionally think of strength and conditioning in a basketball setting. So that we're not removing those things from context and then they become more representative of performance, right? And uh, that seems to be the things that stand out to me and, uh, you know, the enjoyment factor. Talk to us about that because that really does stand out. Yeah. So so when I when I look at my programming, there's four pillars, right? And you have the physical, the psychological, the social, and the emotional. So I talked about kind of the CLA where you have the environment, the task, and the individual. But from a bigger picture, too... I look at this, those four pillars, and again, I need to factor in all four. And that emotional side, especially when you're dealing with a, 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 a kid that is going through puberty, it's a very awkward time, right? Or you're dealing with a high-level college athlete where there's a ton of pressure, or you're just, whatever, you're dealing with a kid that is, maybe he's just out of puberty, but he's not as talented, and he's a junior, he really wants to make the varsity team. You need to appreciate all four. And hopefully 
with me saying that when you watch these different videos, you will see and it will make a lot of sense why, you know, I incorporate gameplay, why we incorporate some of these really outside the box things is because I'm not just focusing. I don't have that narrow kind of lens of just focusing on the physical side of things. It's it's one thing. It's one piece. This is what I tell, you know, all all the athletes. It's one piece to this giant athletic puzzle. But we need to make sure we're trying to find all the other pieces and appreciate that everything, like I said, everything is connected and you can't have one and not have the other. And so that's a big thing, enjoying it. And that's the, and that I think that is and it's interesting. I get the same feedback from the youngest to the oldest. It's when they step through my, you know, my when they walk in that through that front door at my facility. I want kids to be excited. I want kids to look forward, not be like, all right, this is a punishment or, okay, we got to lift today. We got to do this today. They come in and they know, okay, like with the younger kids, what's the movement challenges today? All right. Or, you know, my older guys are, what is, what is the objective? What is the theme? What is the emphasis for today? And again, we still have traditional stuff. We still, we will lift heavy. We will you know, sprint enclosed environments. But again, it's just one tool of so many. And we just are trying to use all these different tools to help, you know, complete that full puzzle. Um, so yeah, those four pillars, um, especially in the strength and conditioning athletic development world, it's like we have that physical side down. But what about the other three? And how can we use the other three? All right, because that physical side, you can go on any website, any Instagram, you know, any, any Instagram post, any, any Twitter content, you can find so many good resources and so many different ideas from a physical side. But what about the other three? And it's those other three, in my opinion, is what gives the context. It It's what shapes the behaviors that can take, you know, some of these, you know, traditional ideas, but connect them and be able to apply it on the court. And that was the big thing with with when I went out to Italy and working with Alex, it was almost like a seamless transition where a lot of, so with ecological dynamics, you know, you have this representative design. Okay. And I understand, and I, and I get some criticism and it's fine. Representative design is you're trying to, you're trying to give context. You're trying to, you want the problems. So whatever you're doing, the movement patterns, the, the problems that emerge, you want to have context. You want kid, you want to have that feel. You want it to behave, act, feel similar to what you would be doing in your sport. With my situation, okay, yes, we're talking about basketball, but I also have, you name a sport, I work with that person. And so what I'm trying to do is, yes, it might not be with a basketball, but when you look at you know, the similarities between basketball, lacrosse, hockey, there's a lot of similarities from a motor pattern standpoint and from an attention standpoint, offensive, defensive behaviors. And so that's where it's like, yes, I'm not doing it with a basketball, but we're keeping. And if you want to kind of even go even more down ecological dynamics, you got the perception, the action and the intention. They're all coupled. And so when you have all three of those nicely coupled together, then you get this learning opportunity. You get this chance to, whether it's a, you know, a side shuffle pattern, whether it's some sort of jumping pattern, whatever it may be, if you're keeping those things coupled, then it can be transferred. It can transcend, you know, past, you know, you know, a practice or training situation. So the traditional approach to basketball coaching would feature Drills like three-man weaves, zigzag drill, one-on-o, five-on-o, et cetera. So what would be the equivalent for athletic performance in terms of some of these traditional things that maybe you're flipping a little bit? All right. So first, I would say the dynamic warm-up, all right? And I'm guilty of it, right? It's you do the same eight to 10 movements in nice pre-planned perfect lines on the coach's whistle, perfect, you know, it's the same distance or the same number of repetitions. I don't, I've eliminated all dynamic warmups. Um, so that's first. So just basic dynamic warmup. Second, I would say like the agility ladder. That is something I was guilty of early on, but before I even got down, you know, some of these ideas, I realized it was, and I'm just being honest, 
it's a waste of time. Um, the second thing is any type of cone drill, whether it's the pro agility, you know, the three cone, any type of shuttle runs, anything where it's it's just closed, very to I would say no information provided. Um, so those would be really, especially for the videos that I'm sharing, those would be like the three big things you would see in a traditional strength and conditioning where they do the dynamic warm-up, they do the agility ladder. They do some of these cone drills, and then it's into the weight room. So for me, I guess the question that I get a lot is, how do you know it works? And, and it's amazing to me that we get these questions, but, you know, because partly it's like, how do you know basketball transfers to basketball? Because we play basketball to get better at basketball. And then when you do these cone dribbling drills or something like that, to me, that is removing some of the key features, obviously, of the game, distracting information, visual stimuli, perception, action, coupling, et cetera. So to me, yep. the question is always, well, how do you know yours works? But I'm curious then, how do you handle this question about how do you know it works? It's trust. It's it's building that relationship. It's having that athlete-centered or player-led environment. And so it's tough because you can't, and I will, I have, and you'll see in this, and I'm sorry for keep referring to the video series, but okay. I do have some objective stuff that I will, I will measure so that when I do get a traditional coach or I get, you know, uh, a, a very protective parent, I do have some basic numbers, whether it's some sort of type of jump or bound or some sort of speed where it's like, all right, I have some of this data so you can see improvement from the physical side but the big thing for me is the feedback i get from the individuals that i spend every single day every single week with and a perfect example it's so i'm really big on adaptability and i'm really big on giving these athletes it, i call it the movement toolbox all right or the movement solution toolbox and giving them all these different tools whether it's a new squatting pattern whether it's learning how to acceleration you know from a different stance or whether it's, you know, making a better decision, you know, when you're in a defensive disadvantageous situation, I'm trying to give them all these different physical, psychological tools so that they're adaptable, right? And I said at the beginning, adaptable problem solvers. So for example, I'll have athletes that will be multiple sports. Uh, for example, one athlete that decided to change his senior season from playing one sport to another sport and then got an opportunity to play division one in his second sport where his first sport, you know, that was his entire life all the way up to 18. He dabbled in his second sport, but then was got an opportunity to play his second sport at a high, very high level division one school and was able to do so and is having extreme success. And so this is anecdotal. I get it because some of this stuff, it's very hard to measure, you know, especially from a, a perceptual cognitive standpoint or, you know, from a, an emotional social standpoint, but those are the little things or like, say I'm, <clears throat> say I'm talking about a middle school kid. Right. And again, we talked about the bigger picture. I have middle school kids that maybe they come in and they have attentional disorders and they're on medication. They get off that medication or they're very, uh, from a social standpoint, uh, uh, they're very awkward in social settings. They're making new friends. Or they have the confidence now to ask out a girl or boy they like. All right. And I don't know many strength coaches that factor all this stuff in, but that's what, that, that's what I do. And that's what I appreciate where I'm looking at the bigger picture. I'm looking at the four pillars to human and athletic performance. And that's what that's what um, I deem successful. That's what I deem. Okay, this is this works, right? It's not that I got you to squat from a you know two hundred pounds to a five hundred pounds. Great, that's awesome. But what are the other things? What are, are some of these other components that are going to help you be an awesome human being? You know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road when sport is you know done. Right. And that's the thing where, especially when working with the youth and they're so, you know, they're so moldable and plastic and dynamic. That's what I look at as, okay, the direction I'm taking this, is it the right direction? And it's all the feedback. It's, it's, you know, the, the examples I've given, that's why I could care less. All right. Because guess what? There's a reason 
why there is so many strength and conditioning, private gyms. I mean, there's 25 gyms within a five mile radius of my facility. We have 25 gyms. There's 25 places that a kid can go to. It's crazy, right? There's a reason why there's so many of them. It's not that hard to build up the physical aspect. I'm sorry, it's not. But what about the other components? And so that's when, when I look at those other aspects, the psychological, the social, and the emotional, that's what I care about. I love it. And uh, I love the four pillars and the way to be able to obviously explain that and connect that for players. You know, to me, how do you know it works? Obviously, athlete enjoyment, athlete feel, athlete application, athlete belief, all those things fall under your pillars. And that's what I love about it. And, uh, you know, you're constantly connecting for them that that's what we worked on. And that's how it's helping you. And that's the other part about connecting it to basketball. If you're if you're working with basketball players, for example, as you are in the videos, uh, going further here, uh, you mentioned about dynamic warmup, and I've not done dynamic warmup for ages because of some of the people like you sharing these things. So talk to us, what would you do instead? What would make better use of the warmup? Yeah, so my first thing is I change the language, right? And so when I'm working with an athlete, when, when I made these changes, I, didn't, I don't call it a warmup anymore because it's like, and I was an athlete, right? I remember when we had to do the warmups, I hated it. I, I I still, I still love to move. I still am. I still love to lift and sprint and I'll hop in some of these activities with the kids. I hate warming up. I, and it's just who I am. And so basically I changed the language. To, so now it's pre-training or pre-practice where it's just by changing the language, I basically labeled that we're doing something different. And so that's the first thing, change the language. The second thing is to change your perspective on, okay, we need to get through this as quickly as possible. We need to get this done because we need to prepare the tissues. We need to heat the system up. We need to do whatever, blah, blah, blah. How about you look at this? This is a great opportunity for learning. This is a great opportunity to get extra exposure to maybe some of these, you know, softer skills or non-traditional skills, whether it's the perceptual cognitive systems you know, whether it's more coordination base uh, or brain base, whether it's more ankle and foot, you know, activation. So, or maybe it's just, guess what? A kid comes in. I, so I do this a lot, Chris, where I go off script, where I'll have a plan. And I do, it's not like, it's not, and this is a great time to explain this. It's not like my program is just chaos. It's not like the inmates run the asylum. It's not just craziness all the time. All right. There is organization. There is there are themes and, and objectives and things that I want to try to I want to try to meet and, and, and teach. But at the same time, if a kid comes in or kids come in because everything I do is in a small group setting and I can get a great idea that, all right, something happened today. Something is not right. I will change. I will change the script, throw it out and basically say, all right, guys, what game do you want to play? All right. Gameplay in a warm up or a pre-practice pre-training is such a fantastic opportunity to get, you know, whatever you're trying to teach, there is a game for it. All right. And I created, you know, an ebook of all of my gameplay environments and it's constant. I'm constantly updating to I have 250 examples and it's growing every single day. But there's so many different games that you can whatever you're trying to teach that you can use these gameplay, all right, to, again, address those four pillars to kind of potentiate and kind of get the get the athlete or get the youth fleet kind of in a different state, so to speak, especially from a mental and a psychological standpoint, so that we can be more productive with whatever we, else we have planned for the day. The big thing is not being stuck. That's the one thing that was just, it was very common, especially again, I'm going to keep relating back to strength and conditioning where it's like, all right, everything's on the whiteboard or we printed out all these perfect pamphlets and all these kids have these perfect uh, programs that are pre-planned 12, 16 weeks out. And it's like, okay, but things need to be adaptable. They need to be dynamic. They need to be agile and you can't be afraid, you know, to, to make that change. And then the other thing is that having with everything that I'm talking about is all right. Talk to the athlete, communicate. What do they want to do? Have a sense. So within my gameplay environments, we have, you know, a, a kind of athlete centered where I'm, I'm, I am constructing the idea behind it and I'm giving the tools. 
But then we also have an athlete driven where I'm not saying a darn thing. I might say, hey, guys, we have a Frisbee today. Or, hey, guys, we might have a stability ball today. Or, hey, guys, we might have the spike ball net today. Or, guys, we have, you know, a half-court basketball court, but you can't use the basketball hoop, but you can use anything else in here. Create your own game. Create your own situations. And a lot of the stuff that I share, and I try to be honest and transparent, comes from the athletes and comes from that interaction with, you know, hey, hey, what if we do it this way? Or what if we change the theme and we switch something here? Or what if the problem, what if this happened and we had this type of problem? This is the type of stuff, my athletes, this is what we talk about. And allowing them to kind of be the coach and have a say in the construction process, you know, with, you know, some of these warmups and some of these gameplay environments, it's it's really interesting. Again, if you if you believe in those four pillars and keeping them all connected, when you do that warm up or that pre practice, that pre training that way, how much productive? Especially, let's say say we are lifting heavy, and say we're working on a specific. Because I do, because a lot of times if we're deadlifting heavy, there's some things that I want an athlete to do to be safe. It's that simple. There's biomechanical truths. And there's things that, okay, I want you to have a flat back, or I want you to have a strong trunk. I want your whole foot to be on the ground, whatever it may be, they're going to be more receptive and their body's going to be more adaptable to make that change. If I, because if I had them do the same thing over and over again, when I introduce a change in something like that later down the road, their body's not going to be ready for that. And it's, it's going to be something where it's going to be too much. It's going to be too hectic where I want to increase that variability. I want to expose them, you know, to wide ranging situations early on in the session. And so, and, and, and early on in the entire, you know, kind of developmental process. When you describe like it's messy or whatever, and, and I'm so glad you said that because it's only messy to the players or to the people that are watching. You know what you're doing, you know what your objectives are, but all you're saying, which I love how you phrase it, is that you're allowing things to go where they go and providing room for self-discovery, which provides you the adaptive, and obviously your your game for it is the ability to be adaptable and flexible with where it's going to go because the athletes show you where it needs to go. And that's the beautiful thing about this ecological approach of applying it in this situation. So I absolutely love that. And maybe for coaches then, what are some small changes coaches could apply, say, let's say in the weight room? To become more ecological. Okay, uh, so I'll get. I'll tell you exactly how I did it. Right, make one change. That's it. Make one change. Give it some time, and just kind of see what happens. All right, and this just kind of put egos aside. Make one change and see, and converse, talk with the athletes, and kind of just see what emerges. What I did is that I put a challenge on, and this is going to sound weird, especially to the basketball community, maybe not to your basketball community, but to the traditional basketball community, is that when I try to start to dabble in applying like repetition without repetition or exploration, or, and I know a lot of coaches frown upon this word of self-organization because there's much more to that than just letting the kid go. What I did is I wanted the, activity, the drill, the tool, the exercise, whatever word you want to use. I wanted that specific setup and design to provide 99.9% of the guidance and coaching. So what me and my assistant at the time, I my, my challenge was I wanted to say the least amount of words. I didn't want to talk. All right. And so I wanted to you know, whatever it might be, I would imagine that the kids couldn't speak English. They couldn't speak my language or the kid was, he was not able to communicate. And again, remember all of this stuff started to happen for me when I had a young child where communication wasn't, you know, there was a disconnect. And so that was my challenge where it was like, all right, I'm going to say the least amount possible. Obviously I'm not putting a kid because my, my number one, my number one principle is do no harm. So I'm never going to put a kid in, in, in harm's way. But with some of these movements, and a lot of times with these younger athletes, a lot of these kind of body weight in very low resistance, very low level, you know, uh, motor patterns, I just let the tool, whether it was a dumbbell or whether it was a med ball or whether how I positioned their foot or how I positioned their stance or their hands, whatever it may be, 
I allowed that to guide them and just see. The second thing, and, and this is very difficult for me, and I talk about this, you know, in my social media posts and in some of my, you know, uh, resources, is you need to be patient. When you're working with adolescents or you're working with kids that are going through puberty or even after puberty, you need to have patience because explaining them, demonstrating, and then expecting something to happen right away is unrealistic. And I, I'm guilty of it, right? I was like, all right, I would take them through. Say I'm doing a trap bar deadlift, right? I explained it. I gave them this 20-minute tutorial, all these coaching cues, perfect. And, you know, I pat myself on the back. And then when a kid would go and he didn't do it, whistle, yelling, you know, you know, negative consequences. And then I would wonder why it would take six months for a kid to truly understand or say I did take them out of the weight room. Right. And I wanted them to do a, a, a closed can change a direction drill. Why can't they change their center of mass? Why can't they change levels or shapes? And I'm like, huh. But then it's like, all right, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to let the tools do, do the guidance. I'm, and I'm just going to see kind of what happens. And it's amazing. It really is amazing. Once you do that, and obviously there's, there's other variables to it. But kids are very adaptable. And when you, when you, and I talk about this in other podcasts, so many programs put kids in pre-planned boxes. Mm -hmm. And what I want to do is that I want to create a door. I want to create a window. I want to knock the roof off. I want to put a nice addition on. I want them to create their own mansion. I want them to have a, you know, truly dictate with my guidance though still, but I want them to create their movement signature. I want them to put the tools in their toolbox, not me. Coach, a brief interruption from our podcast to tell you about basketballimmersion.com. Why do so many coaches coach like it was 20 years ago? Technology, research, innovation have all expanded our understanding of teaching, coaching, and learning. Change can be hard to accept, but with an open mind and willingness to learn, it is possible. This is what Basketball Immersion has done for so many coaches. Coaches at all levels of basketball from around the world have stimulated their coaching development using the Basketball Immersion membership community. Embrace the change that will impact your players and team beyond anything you can imagine. Join our Basketball Immersion community at basketballimmersion.com. So uh, one of the things I adapted from you was this concept of this roughhousing. And, and the example you gave was they were on one foot, two partners were facing each other on one foot, touching opposite shoulders, and then trying to push each other down. So this yeah. is an example of ecological is all I did is I show them that I give them a ball, they're dribbling. And I say the winner gets to go score and the loser obviously tries to prevent them from scoring. And then without giving them a, any technical or tactical information at all, we let them experience it. And then we can bring them in as a coach to your example, because I've learned this from you is then I can ask them. So what are some strategies that could help you? And it's specific yep. to them, obviously, because it's them. And these are individual differences. And what works for one doesn't work for another. But it's interesting and obviously applicable to be able to get their feedback. And this is essentially what you're explaining here in this process is you're trying to say as little as possible, let them experience it, and then be their guidance from there in terms of helping them come up with a solution that works for them, correct? Absolutely. 100%. It's it's such a beautiful thing, and I can't can't encourage coaches enough, obviously, to to follow your social media, and you'll get so many ideas that apply in what we're just sharing here in this context. Now, and I love your parenting examples, by the way. I, I think until I was a parent, I don't think I fully grasped ecological dynamics and constraints-led approach, to be honest, and pe people that are parents and know this will understand that, but give us a connection for this, not parenting, but for uh, constraints. What are some examples of common constraint manipulations you would use in your field? Yeah, so so I mean, there's so many different. So let's let's just say the, again, because I think context and understanding is important. So let's just say, you know, this is we're on the court and and I'm handling a pre-practice, and you know, it's one of I call it you know agility training, problem solving. Think of it as a small sided game without the basketball, right? And so there is, depending on, so my big thing, so I have these themes, I have these, you know, uh, objectives, 
All right. So to simplify this for our conversation, is it a physical focus or is it a psychological focus? So we have the physical load, we have the psychological load. So I kind of start there. And then from there, let's just say it's physical, right? With the, if it's a physical load, am I the movement problems or what I'm trying to influence? Again, I'm not saying dictate, but what I'm trying to influence. And again, I'm not saying isolate either. What I'm trying to influence, let's say it's more, uh, more speed oriented, right? Maybe it's more elastic uh uh solutions and so with the construction process you have these different task constraints you have the environment constraints we can talk about the environment in a second for basketball there is some things in my opinion from an environmental standpoint but it's not as compared to let's say like a football american football or soccer like an outdoor sport um but so we're talking about task constraints so if i want to influence some more acceleration patterns right when I construct my, say it's a 1v1, I'm going to keep the space open, right? So that's a perfect example. It's I'm just going to, I'm looking at the workspace. I'm looking at the shape of the boundaries. Maybe if I really want it to be more of a linear acceleration, maybe it's a long but narrow workspace, right? But let's say, no, I want to influence more change of direction, okay? I want to inform, uh, I want to influence more kind of, you know, stop, go, type ideas and work on more lateral type movements. I might completely change the shape of the boundaries where now it's short and wide and I might throw in obstacles. I might throw in barriers where I use, you know, I use recycling bins or I'll use, you know, other individuals where they just kind of hold their ground and they're just, their job is to act big. And so we have static barriers where they're just taking up as much space as possible, or we have dynamic barriers where they're just trying to add more chaos or they're just trying to add a little bit more information to distract, right? Or to confuse the defense or offense, depending kind of the situation. So you got you got kind of that workspace construction, the boundary shapes, you know, is it open? Is it more kind of cluttered with obstacles and barriers, et cetera? You also have number of participants, right? It's so if I want to create so say I still want to keep that physical side, but I have this open space and I still want to have more change of direction. Or I want to have more of a strength focus then. Okay. Maybe I put more people in, right. And maybe I make it more two V two, three V three, uh, where that space kind of gets limited a little bit because I'm adding more bodies. Um, maybe I change how the start of the repetition, we were just talking about roughhousing. I'm a big, so with, with my, my agility training or my small sided games, I created these different situations, right? You have your transitional, organizational, uh, advantageous and disadvantageous, and you have fatigue management. And so with fatigue management, one of the ways that I create fatigue is by creating collisions, right? So this rough housing idea, or maybe at the start, and so for basketball to give context, maybe it's like, you think of it like a box out drill, right? But where they are, maybe they're battling, or maybe it's a perturbation. So a battling is where two individuals are trying to fight for position. We have a shoulder battle where basically they're they have their hands on either two hands on either shoulder on the uh, opponent's shoulder. We have a hit battle where basically they put their hands behind their back and they're using just their lower half to kind of gain leverage. We have a back battle where basically they're just back to back and they're again they're trying to create leverage. But we also have uh, perturbation starts where maybe it's the offense, maybe it's the defense. It just depends on the construction of the of, of the uh, activity. But maybe uh, the defense is getting perturbations by, you know, uh, one of the barriers where the barriers are shoving them and trying to create them off balance and put them into unfavorable shapes, et cetera. Um, with, and then the defense is doing everything they can, you know, to kind of fight for position, to maintain shapes, what have you. And so these are just some very, very basic examples where, you know, I'm looking at the workspace, I'm looking at the shape, I'm looking at the number of participants, <clears throat> I'm looking at how the repetition is initiated, I'm looking at where the athletes are starting. That's another real simple thing that coaches can do is that rep to rep, if you look at, you know, dynamical systems theory and ecological dynamics, taking this repetition without repetition idea, it's not as complex as it needs to be where you can just change the location, change the angle of attack, 
right? Change the way the, you know, the individual is facing, change the spacing. Um, so these are all examples of, you know, stuff that I would do on the court, you know, from a, a um, an agility standpoint. But then like, if you take that idea and then again, because I want that seamless transition from court to weight room to back on court, say with, you know, with the uh, basketball side of things, I want to use some of these ideas where it's like, all right, maybe I'm using, you know, uh, uh, how I'm holding a dumbbell, right. To guide a certain shape or to guide more of of a foot pressure, um, inside edge foot pressure, whatever it may be. Maybe I'm holding the dumbbell differently. Maybe I'm holding it goblet. Maybe I'm holding it one side contralaterally or ipsilaterally. Maybe I'm holding two different types of dumbbell, two different weights, where now they have to balance and they have to self-organize to maintain good, called a split squat shape. All right. Maybe I'm changing the shapes itself. Maybe, I, and that's one thing that so many strength and conditioning coaches, everything is this ass to grass mentality where it's full range of motion and that's it. And I was guilty of it. But now I'm looking at, okay, yes, we will do full range of motion, but partial range of motions are just as important and just as advantageous to teach the individual how to develop force in all different ranges of motions in all different shapes. So maybe I'll take that split squat idea and I'm changing, I'm using Airx pads to manipulate how deep they go, whether it's a you know full range of motion or partial range of motion. All right. Because again, that's influencing different, you know, different motor patterns. So these are again very, there's so many different examples I can give. But the the big thing is trying to use these constraints, the constraints led approach and looking at not just looking at things as okay, it's an exercise. We did it this way. I, I did this 20 years ago, and this is the only way we're going to do it. Look at it now as, as a movement problem, or look at this as a learning opportunity, or look at this as a movement challenge. And when you flip that, you change the language, you change your lens, then it's like, ah, okay, this makes sense. But again, you can still apply. Yesterday, I had kids deadlifting heavy. And again, they're going all the way, they're full range of motion. You know, it's that traditional setup, but then on top of that, then I'm going to blend in some of these things, maybe on the warm-up sets, right? With some of my more experienced athletes on the warm-up sets, instead of telling them everything to do, I let them experience. They choose how many reps they do. They choose the range of motion. They choose the speed of, of the bars, you know, the, the velocity of the bar. These are, again, very, very simple introductory ideas, but they go a long way. Well, I love it. And I, I know coaches that are listening are thinking, oh, my God, this is complicated. This is like all based on science, all this other stuff. It is all those things to a certain extent. But I will tell you, when you dive into this constraints-led approach, it will actually simplify almost everything for you as a coach. And I hope that's what they're connecting from what you said, because that's what I got out of what you said. And I'll give it a quick example because you gave this example. It's like, okay, we play one-on-one -on -one with space and with no space as a starting point. And to me, that's that's basically the game. Either you have space for speed or you don't have space for speed. And if you don't have space for speed, where are you going to create space? And that's just a real simple example of kind of applying a constraint in terms of what you shared and just different dynamic starts. And I just love it. I mean, just so much of what you share is so practical. Um, you, you've mentioned this, so I want you to get into this a little bit. What is the difference between a high and a low stress day? Yeah, so so it's and, and again, I didn't come up with this. This is the late Charlie Francis, um, and he has this high low idea. This high low where you're you have high stressors, CNS stressors, and you have low CNS stressors. So basically, and I, this is going to be simple. What's CNS for everyone. Yeah. So central nervous system. Okay. And so what I was going to say, you have a hard day and you have an easy day. It's honestly that simple. And so when you understand that. And understanding this low high model, I am always gonna have. And again, there's gonna be times I understand that, and I because I, I, I had this conversation with Alex, right? And and trying to apply and adapt these ideas, especially during a chaotic competitive season. But basically, you consolidate all of your easy stuff, uh, you know, practice it, uh, your you know your practice activities, your uh, your gameplay. Uh, you know, your med ball throws, all of your extensive, 
stuff that is a little bit less stressful on the human organism. You organize that all on one day. So you have an easy day. And then you take all your high stress, intensive, you know, uh, you know, harder practice activities. Uh, maybe it's speed work. Maybe it's more uh, plyometric type stuff or heavier weights, uh, like heavier lower body weights. You consolidate all of that on one day. And the whole idea is that I want to use the low sessions to prepare, to potentiate the high sessions. And so there's going to be times where you're not going to always be able to go low, high, low, high. But what I found, though, is that if you can figure out a way to do a low early on in the week before that high and you consolidate these stressors, it's amazing to see when you look at the end of a competitive year, the wear and tear is not there. It's non-existent. And it's allowing those low days is truly allowing the body to recover. And then on the high days, you're doing what you got to do. And you're trying to push the envelope, but understanding and respecting, and I'm going to use the analogy that Charlie Francis gave, is that you need to understand that an athlete's system, whether it's physical, psychological, whatever, he uses a cup analogy. The cup is only so big. And on these high intensive days, you're feeling, think of all the stressors, all the activities, all the exercises, all the movements you're filling that cup one drop of water at a time, one exercise at a time. And at some point, that cup is going to overfill. If you keep going high, 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 and medium, 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 that's a big thing, okay? And so using these low days to empty that cup just a little bit, right? And to allow the body to adapt and recover. And it, and it, it is simple, low, high, low, high, doing a low before a high session, but it will go such a long way instead of trying to practice hard. And I see this and I try to have conversations with basketball coaches in my area, but it's, it's just go, 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 especially after the pandemic, especially it's just go hard, go hard, go hard. And you rest when you go home. And I disagree with that. I have to laugh. I just have to laugh because I know that's the hardest thing for basketball coaches to understand is they they just are obsessed with intensity of a practice, thinking that is the goal. The goal is to have the hardest, most intense practice. And it's just not true. That's not it. And somebody told me once, uh, you know, in terms of a relationship to strength is like, you actually get stronger when you rest. You don't get stronger when you lift. Because that's when your body adapts and people don't kind of connect those things to basketball practice. And you've talked about all the psychosocial and all the different things that apply to that. But that is the most important thing. Some days we coach them a lot and some days we don't coach them at all because that's a low day. So it's not just about the physical. And that's what you've highlighted throughout. So important. Well said. Absolutely. Players can still develop without being fully intense every single minute of a practice and if anything, what you're saying and what we agree with is that you're going to improve more and empty the cup. What a great example in terms of that. Yep. And, and it's the bigger picture, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing is that so many of these coaches, like especially early on in the season, they just think about that day or that week. They just think about that upcoming game. And I get it. I understand that you don't want to look past an opponent. I appreciate that. I get it. But from a development and from just a, an ability to adapt, you got to give time, especially with a growing individual. You need to allow that body to, like, again, empty the cup. And so that's why those low days before the high days, and it's just a simple t- tweak I've done um, because uh, typically it would go high-low. But that low-high switch, I just, I, I'm never going back. It's something I've been doing for a long time now. And I just have seen, I've seen a ton of success, not just at the beginning, but towards the end, you know, when kind of when you want to it's say it kind of counts more in a sense, kids are still fresh. They're still ready to go. They're still ready to play um, instead of just being like, oh my God, when is the season over? Coach Mark Jablonski, who uh, does a lot of stuff for our basketball immersion community and has long been in this coaching space, uh, just tremendous, tremendous thinker. He asked this question, uh, how do you balance the need for specificity in training with the need for variety and keeping workouts fun and engaging? 
<laughs> that word specificity, it's, 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 it's interesting. And I've gone down many different ways of looking at, okay, this word of sports specific, and it drives me nuts. Okay. In my opinion, and from what I see, and we, I kind of talked about this, uh, you know, previous posts and in, 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 in the, you know, video series is this idea. Uh, I'm trying to create things sticky. And what I mean by that is that when I'm looking at, when I'm trying to develop, let, let's say just simple, uh, a game speed strategy or a sprinting strategy or a change of direction strategy, I can't just focus on the output. I can't just focus on the biomechanics. And so when you look at movement, you got the output, which every strength and conditioning coach, you know, there's so many out there that do a fantastic job of that. But you also got to look at the input and you got to look at what is that, what is that sensory information? What is that perceptual cognitive system? What is, you know, what is the athlete seeing, hearing, feeling prior to, you know, that movement selection or that, you know, that, that movement tool that they're performing. And so understanding that you can't have just half of the equation, you got to appreciate both, especially in a chaotic setting, like in a basket, like a basketball game. Um, and then the other thing is that in order for it to be sticky, you've got to also couple the behaviors. All right. You've got to have that perception, action, and intention. And in my opinion, that intention is so important because if you have the defensive or offensive intent behind your first step solution or your change of direction cut or your jumping pattern, that's where these things can start to be applied in a basketball practice or be applied in a, you know, five on five, you know, uncertain game environment. So it's understanding those from a specificity standpoint. And from just a basic human movement standpoint, you got to have the brain, the biomechanics, and the behavior. Everything is interconnected, and you need to respect that. Love this. I, and you brought up something. So I would love to change the languaging around we steal something as coaches and say that we adapt it or we adopt it. Um, and I would love to change the phrasing around game speed, which you brought up. And, and it just drives me bonkers that people always are talking, oh, we got to go game speed. We got to go. Well, game speed is not 100% intensity. It's not yep. fast all the time, right? It's yep. this ebb and flow and this uh, fast to slow, slow to fast, this type of movement that exists because basketball is a game of bursts. So when I say game speed, when I, with my agility, my small sided games, I have these concepts that I want to, I want to teach. We kind of talked about this appreciating space. Right. And depending on if you're offense or defense, the behaviors are going to be a little bit different. Right. Offense, you want to create separation. Defense, you want to close that, you know, close that spacing, that gap down. But you also need to respect speed. And that's a thing that I'm really big on. And again, I want my athletes to be fast because when you sprint, you do get stronger. You know, you do build up some tissue resiliency, especially in the hip, in the Achilles, and in the foot. But that's one tool. And we've been talking about this. I'm trying to give these kids as many tools as possible. And so appreciating speed and or respecting speed, excuse me, is understanding that the fastest response is not always the best response. And it's understanding that, okay, what, you know, what is the information, right? What is the positioning of the, uh, of the individual? What is the spacing between me and the individual? You know, you know, what, you know, how much fatigue do I have? Where are the other you know, uh, opponents on the court. Where is the ball? Do I have the ball? And my offense and my defense, there's all these different variables that just going full speed, you know, running around, you know, crazy, like a madman. It's just, it's, it's not, it's not efficient. It's not effective. And so understanding, knowing when, if you watch these high level basketball athletes, and I'm going to give an example because I'm biased. And because I, co I, I worked at the University of Connecticut, Kemble Walker, when I had a chance to work with him, his ability to change speeds. And a perfect example is that game against Pittsburgh where he created that separation to hit that game-winning shot. And I forgot the center, the big for Pitt. But his ability to change speed was jaw-dropping. All right, I had I was young in the game. I was 21, I think, 22 at the time. I had the task after the season to help him with his NBA combine work, which drives me nuts now. But 
I basically took them through all these different drills, got all the objective measurements, and was like, dude, there is nothing I can do for you. You literally are off the charts on every possible thing. There's nothing I will say. There's nothing I will do that will make you better when you go do this. It's just your ability to go as fast, but then change that speed, change direction, manipulate your body, manipulate the ball. That's basketball. And the thing is, a big component to this, and sorry for this kind of long-winded answer, but a big component to this is that understanding movement and basketball is a form of creative expression. And that's a big aspect to my gameplay environments and my small-sided games is that creativity is important. And doing it just one way, one solution, if you're good at one solution, isn't going to cut it. You got to experiment, explore all these different types of solutions, and you need to be creative with them. All right. Because you don't want to be predictable. You want to be unpredictable, especially from an offensive and defensive standpoint. You want you want to be unpredictable. You don't want the opponent to know exactly what you're going to do. And so this idea of, of respecting speed and change of speed, that's a thing I don't see talked about a lot. We, we develop and we influence in that ability. Like you talked about the game is, you know, basketball is a game of a bunch of short bursts, multi-directional short bursts, being able to change that speed to go to second gear and slow down, then go to fifth gear and slow down and then go to first gear, but then fifth gear, that's what it's about, man. And if you just go fast all the time, let's see how productive you're going to be. Coaches, that's game speed. Thank you for uh, addressing that. I think that's so important for all of us to think deeper about. And uh, Jamie, just an incredible impact here that you're making in terms of sharing all these ideas uh, with both the video series at Immersion Videos, uh, basketballathleticdevelopment.com. We're also going to add a bonus answer for coaches that are listening to this podcast. If you go to a Basketball Immersion YouTube, and we're going to get Jamie to be able to address a question about if he was a high school coach, how would he implement some of these ideas? So watch for that on our YouTube channel on Basketball Immersion. But Jamie, I cannot thank you enough for sharing the game with us. Just tremendous stuff. I appreciate the opportunity. This was this was awesome, Chris. Coach, I can't wait to get you back to the basketball podcast, but I wanted to take a brief moment to tell you about ImmersionVideos.com. Have you checked out ImmersionVideos.com? Watch an Oats practice and see how he has Alabama ranked in the top five nationally. Or get access to our new release featuring nine all-access practices from Alex Rama. Or other products from Tobin Anderson, Doug Novak, Dave Smart, Scott Morrison, Aaron Fern, Mark Cassio, Francisco Nanny, and more. ImmersionVideos.com was created to provide value to coaches like you who are looking to stimulate their professional development by offering unique all-access tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. Go to ImmersionVideos.com and check it out today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.